electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to a special Seattle edition of Mad Money, coming at you from the iconic Space Needle in the heart of the Emerald City. Other people make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. So I come back from Italy, all optimistic, yet all I can hear is that, prego, I truly don't get it, that I fundamentally misunderstand the problems facing this overvalued market. Never mind that we got another nice day today with Dow gaining 230 points, S&P climbing 1.06%, Nasdaq jumping 1.27%. Sometimes I just want to tell these doubters, as I did constantly to strangers on my trip, don't give up the ship. There are some good things happening, including things right here on location in Seattle. where We'll be talking to the CEOs of Amazon Web Services and Expedia. But anyone who's optimistic in this environment is, of course, on the defensive. Why? First, the bears say inflation's running rampant. No matter what the consumer price index says tomorrow morning, no matter how much better it is than the consensus, it just doesn't matter. Their attitude is the Fed's going to keep raising and raising and raising and raising, maybe taking them up to 4 to 5%. What market can survive that kind of pressure? Surely not this one. Second, I keep hearing that earnings will fall well short of expectations. Just look at the lead story in the Wall Street Journal this morning. You don't want to own a single, single stock if there's a high chance that you're walking into an earnings shortfall. Third, these days, the government seems like an endless source of pain for Wall Street, unless you make solar panels. Great moment if you care about the environment, but pretty darn suboptimal if you care about the stock market. Fourth, here come the layoffs. The news today that Goldman Sachs is preparing to lay off several hundred bankers shows that a recession has to be on the horizon. You sure don't lay off bankers if things are getting better, right? Finally, of course, there's the chronic overvalued machine that is tech. I am so I am sick of this. 
The semiconductor stocks are teetering. Yeah, okay. Pushed over by China's ridiculous COVID strategy, if you can call it that. Plus, it's belligerence and our government's intransigence in response, this time potentially blocking some of the big semiconductor capital equipment makers from selling to the Chinese, along with the chip makers who have the most sophisticated tech for artificial intelligence. All right, all right, all right. Put it all together. And it's easy to argue that this current rally might be chimerical. Nothing more than a temporary oversold bounce. One that specs more of fantasy than fact. So let me rebut each of these bearish points head on. First, inflation comes in many shapes and sizes and flavors. We know commodity inflation peaked months ago, especially the highly visible fuel complex. It hasn't mattered one bit, though, because we still have the intractable food complex and the wage inflation. The Fed can't do anything about food prices. we got water shortages, bad weather, and just a huge chunk of the world's crop supply vanishing thanks to the war in Ukraine. Fed Chairman Powell does not control it. Still, we know that there are ways around these rising prices. You don't have to just take a beating. Tomorrow, for example, we're seeing Craig Jelinek, CEO of Costco, which we own for the Travel Trust. Costco is doing an incredible job holding the line on food costs. It's a gigantic retailer. There's an aggregate food number that comes in these, every one of these indices, but it's going to not be good, all right? But creative consumers can avoid the real bruising prices by becoming a member of Costco. It's not so hard. There's like 100 million of them. If the Fed only looked at Costco, we'd stop worrying. How about wage inflation? All right, this is the stickler. That's something the Fed can and must deal with, although they have to thread the needle between excessive layoffs and excessive wage increases. Now, that's why I think Jay Powell should hit us with another 75 basis point rate hike next week, then maybe follow up with a 50 basis point hike at, at its meeting in early November if wages don't stabilize. That is nirvana, people. But it's not like we're making no progress on the wage inflation front at all. We know that the biggest driver here is what I call the job hop. We've had a severe labor shortage in this country, courtesy of COVID. So I think it's nuts that the bears want to harp on uh, both inflation and layoffs because layoffs will put an end to job hopping and tame wage inflation. So many jobs are being lost at busted IPOs, SPACs, the terrible VC world. And positions are simply not being filled at many big places like meta platforms. I can't think of many major companies that are even hiring. How about these potential earnings shortfalls? I have no doubt that there will be some disappointments. But, man, we were supposed to get hit with a wave of forecasts by now uh, from all these big conferences we're here. And, and so far, we've only had a few. Uh, more on that later. Okay, I will give it to you. Some groups are struggling. The semis are indeed awful. And not just because the government's banning shares, uh, banning sales of AI chips to China, and that's effectively punishing AMD and NVIDIA for what? For being too smart? But the semi-complex is down 40% peak to trough. Dude, that's the worst decline in that group in a decade? Even when you put aside the geopolitical rivalry, the Chinese government keeps wrecking its economy with its endless quest to stop the spread of COVID. The whole point of the lockdowns in the rest of the world was to get things under control until we got vaccines. But China won't use the good stuff because they prefer their less effective homegrown alternatives that don't really work. Until the Communist Party changes its vaccine policy, zero COVID means intermittent lockdowns forever across the whole country. This is the worst failure of communist science since Lysenko. Unfortunately, for the first time since the 60s, China's back on the same page with Russia as President Xi and President Putin get together later this week to talk strategy and mutual friendship. That said, I don't see China offering much material support for Russia's invasion for Ukraine. They're basically taking it as an opportunity to buy Russia oil and gas at a huge discount. 
Which brings me to the single most important fact that the bears just refuse to accept. Ukraine's winning the war, and they're going to drive out Russia, something that would resuscitate Europe's choked-off economy, which is currently being kept afloat by our own oil and gas exports. There were always two political analogs for the Russian invasion. Boris Yeltsin's failed farcical invasion of Chechnya in 1994, and Putin's protectively brutal annihilation of Chechnya years later. Most people assume the war in Ukraine would follow this, the second pattern, Putin crushing another outmatched op- opponent, just like he did with Chechnya. But Ukraine's much, much larger than Chechnya, with 30 times as many people, and their government received extensive military assistance for the West. Plus, unlike Chechnya, in the second war, there were hardly any turncoats, in part because Ukrainians remember the brutal repression that they suffered under Russia earlier in the 20th century, especially during the 30s, during the Great Famine that was caused by Russia. Ukraine's now made a huge breakthrough in the East, and they're running circles around the Russian army, which has been hollowed out by decades of kleptocratic rule. A Ukrainian victory seemed like a wild card just six months ago, but now it's looking like an ace of spades. Obviously, this whole war has been a horrifying humanitarian disaster. But if Ukraine can win, which means pushing Russia out of Ukraine, not Crimea, but Russia, but just Ukraine, that will be huge for the stock market. As long as Russia doesn't go nuclear to save face, we will get a return to business as usual, which would lead to a collapse in oil and gas prices and some terrific earnings for our tech companies that do so much work in Europe. Food prices would come down too. The euro itself would make a comeback very bullish for our country, allowing our international companies to make much more money overseas. Here's the bottom line. I have many more reasons to believe the lows have already been put in, including, by the way, Apple's spectacular $6 run today and an unprompted rally by Amazon right here. But let's not overlook the elephant in the room. If things are really so darn bad, if the negatives are so self-evident, then why the heck do stocks keep pushing higher? I want to take some calls. I want to go to Ronald in New Jersey. Ronald! Oh, yeah, from New Jersey's number one city, Newark. A few, week, few, a few weeks back, Zoom had a bad earnings print, and you made a great point that they may need to recreate themselves post the pandemic. Do you think they're a possible acquisition target? And if so, by who? I don't think they can be a possible acquisition, uh, acquisition target. I'll tell you why. Because this Teams, every time you put your, if you don't have like an Apple device, let's say you have an HP device, you put it on, it says Teams. It comes right out, Teams. It's like, you know, a bad fantasy team. So, uh, no, I, I think there's really nothing right now that Zoom can do. I'm sorry. Nice people. If things are really so bad, if the negatives are so self-evident, then why the heck do stocks keep pushing higher? On Mad Tonight, we're, talk, we're taking investing to new heights from the Space Needle in Seattle. Everyone knows Amazon, but could its cloud computing business be the key driver for the company as the world digitizes? I'm talking to the top brands of Amazon Web Services. And two consumer packaged goods players slashed their guidance recently. I'm revealing the names and what the cuts are saying about the state of the market. Plus, I'm going one-on-one with the CEO of Expedia. Oh, what a stock to get a read on demand for travel. So stay with Kramer from the Space Needle in Seattle. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call 
at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere, you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We keep hearing that consumers are desperate to spend their money to travel now that we're in a post-pandemic world. But that hasn't been paying off in the stock market because everybody's worried about a Fed-mandated recession. So while we're out here in Seattle, we got to check in with Expedia, the online travel agency, with a stock that's got eviscerated the spring. Even as the actual company keeps putting up fantastic numbers, including a truly magnificent quarter just last month. Earlier today, we got a chance to catch up with Peter Kern, the vice chairman and CEO of Expedia. Take a look. Peter, you have reinvented this company just in the last few years. You don't mind if I call you Mr. Travel? Uh, you can happily call me Mr. Travel, but it takes a thousands and thousands of people to be that. So. Now, but one thing is absolutely certain is that not everybody knows your brand, but at many different times you've touched someone. Can you just talk about the gigantic ecosystem you've created? Sure. Well, you know, in addition to all our brands, and many people don't know all our brands, but we have probably 20 around the world or more, uh, including Expedia, Verbo, Hotels.com, our biggest ones. Uh, but we also power many partners. So we have bank rewards programs, uh, other small travel players around the world. We travel. Th- we power thousands of travel agents around the world. So our supply, our technology is powering many travel partners all over the world and getting into these pockets of demand that we wouldn't otherwise reach. But in terms of our viewers, I know there are a lot of people who just plain out use you guys. And I understand from the way that you switch the model, you're rewarded. 
and a rewarded person sticks with your company and has an actual lifetime value. How's that working out? Well, it's going great so far. We're really focused on trying to make sure that everyone who comes into our sites has the benefit of membership, which has a whole bunch of benefits, member discounts, you earn points, uh, there's bundling opportunities and package savings. So we know that people who experience those benefits are much stickier and will stay with us. Because if you just come through and it's just a transaction and you get a regular hotel room wherever, then we haven't given you any benefit. But if you join, if you get our app, if you get all the benefits we bring with the product, then you're going to be sticky and you're going to be a high lifetime value customer. All right, so. so it's really difficult, I think, when I try to figure like for like. But, Peter, the numbers versus 2019 are staggering. How much of that is how you've reinvented the company and how much of it is that people are traveling like mad? Well, people are traveling like crazy. If you've been in an airport, you know that. Everybody's complaining about it. It's, they're too crowded and there's not enough staff. But travel's been booming, there's no question, all summer. And, and still been strong through into September. So there does not appear to be much let up. But also, we've been working really hard to change the nature of the company, bring our technology all together, consolidate our loyalty programs, which is coming next year. So all of those things will continue to drive the business. Now, a lot of what, when I come out here, I realize is that companies that used to just be a lot of people answering phones are technology companies. I think that you have become a travel technology company that, in scale, has helped and moved, made this thing for tens of millions of people. Oh, yeah. I mean, we have mil- tens of millions of customers, tens of millions of members, uh, and we're using, t- we're definitely a technology company. I mean, we are a technology company first because that is how we can use what we have to make the experience better for everybody. So to do it at scale, to bring benefit to everybody, we have to drive the technology solutions, not just answer phones. When I go around the sites, I think that the value you offer, you offer smart shopping, you offer price tracking. But one of the things I really like is that you offer a sign at the beginning which says that the people might be at the top of the queue are because they pay the most. Isn't that, uh, don't you put your business in danger when you're that honest? No, so we've taken a different view about it. the ads. The ads are there to help people find relevant content. Obviously, there's an opportunity for some suppliers to make, make their product known, but everything we do is around trying to make conversion better, make the experience better for the customer so they're finding what they need. So even those ads are contextualized, just like when you go into Google or anything else, that you're seeing stuff that's relevant. You're not just seeing random things. Well, it does make it so that it's much easier, much easier to compare. Uh, when I go to the sites and whether I go to, to Verbo, uh, for ho- for, to hotels, what I do is I recognize that I can get deals. And everybody wants deals because actually, despite the fact that people are traveling like men, we also have the possibility of a big slowdown because of what the Fed's doing. So you kind of want to travel, but you want to travel smart. And that, again, is your company. Yeah, well, I think people always want to know that they're getting a fair deal. Right. But I think it's funny. It's a funny thing, right? We go on vacation or we go on a trip. And if it's a bad hotel or a bad stay or a bad experience, it's terrible. Even if right. we save five bucks, doesn't matter, still a terrible experience. So we're really focused on both, which is how do we make sure travelers are getting into hotels and properties that have great experiences that are matched right to them? And then how are they getting the best deal available for that? Now, at the same time, you've got these fabulous partnerships, the Marriott partnership being a great example. Now, there's, that's the best uh, to be affiliated with in the world. It's a great partner. We've done great work together where uh, we've taken over their wholesale business. In the past year, it's been very successful for them. So we make sure the right rates are out in the market for them and we're protecting their brand. Uh, and, of course, we sell tons of rooms for them. So it's a terrific partnership. And just to do something for uh, what I care about beyond all these great things, you have been a massive, massive uh, debt paid downer, and that's important. You had too much debt. Yeah. You generated a gigantic amount of cash flow. I don't think people realize how much money you make. 
Yeah, that's probably true. I mean, we went through, you know, a, a downturn. We had to go borrow a bunch of money to get through COVID, and we've been paying it down ever since. But the business is generating a lot of cash. We've simplified the business. We're about a third smaller in, in terms of people. We're driving technology to solve problems, and that's just made us even more cash flow. One, this question everybody asks me, uh, business travel coming back, or is it now it's just that luxury, luxury person who sits up front? Well, you're here in Seattle, so, uh, and I'm traveling all the time. So I think business travel is back. I said from the beginning business travel would come back, and it, we're seeing it all over. And, you know, we sold our business. We merged our, our, our commercial business with MXGBT, right. our Agencia business. It's been a very successful deal, and that business is going great. Well, look, Peter, I want to thank you. Uh, I think that this company has changed dramatically, and I want people to know it. I say that because even I, I mean, I looked at I follow a million companies. I had no idea the radical transformation to profitability that you guys have made. So thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. This is Peter Kern. He's Expedia CEO. Guys, I didn't know the stock. I didn't know the changes. You should look at it. It's a winner. Stay with me. Thank you. Coming up, as the diva once said, I need you by me, beside me, to guide me. But not like this. Kramer cuts to the chase on the recent guidance from two stocks you might already own. Next. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Gold Card. Even after the nice bounce last week, continued today, by the way, this is a pretty downbeat market. As I said at the top, it almost feels like people are looking for any reason to be negative. And hey, it's hard to blame them. The Federal Reserve's still on the warpath. September tends to be an awful month historically, and vast swaths of the market seem to be in tough shape. But there was one other thing we heard constant warnings about as September got rolling. The first two weeks of this month are conference season. And there's a widespread fear that many companies would use these conferences to, that's right, cut their forecasts. But it didn't happen, though at least not to a meaningful extent. Conference season got rolling with the Barclays Consumer Staple shindig last week, and that turned out to be, an ex- let's say, an exciting event, not a catastrophe, where we got hit with mass guidance cuts. Then the tech companies sounded off at the Code Conference last week, and I thought they were pretty upbeat. However, look, it hasn't been perfect. There were two high-profile companies that did, in fact, cut their numbers, and we're going to talk about them. Newell Brands and McCormick. So tonight I want to take a closer look at both these stories because these are two very well-run, consumer-focused businesses with good CEOs that can tell us a lot about the current moment. Let's start with Newell Brands. 
parent of Rubbermaid, Coleman, Mr. Coffee, Sharpie, Papermate, and a host of other little brands, all of which you find in your house, believe me. Unlike the Cormac number cut, this one was actually fairly easy to see coming. The problem here is that Newell makes physical goods at a time when consumers have increasingly shifted their spending towards experiences, like eating out or going on vacation, as we heard earlier from Expedia's Peter Kern. We've heard this story in great detail from many retailers. Hey, Target, Walmart. Remember when Target bit the bullet and dumped a ton of its off-trend inventory over the summer? Yeah, that includes products from Newell Brands. But what really worried me is that Newell's products started showing up in the worst place in the world. That's right. The orange and red emails I get from Ollie's Bargain Outlet, the off-price chain. I am a card-carrying member of Ollie's Army. And I take my marching orders from these calls to action. Whenever you see a company with real brands showing up in Ollie's Best Deals newsletter, that's great news for Ollie's, but terrible news for the company in question. Because nobody wants their merchandise to end up on the discount rack's kiss of death. So I've been growing increasingly concerned about Newell, and last week that concern turned out to be correct. Because right before the Barclays Consumer Staples Conference, they cut their guidance for the third quarter and the full year by a significant amount. Previously, the analysts thought Newell could earn between $1.79 this year. Now, management's saying it'd be more like a buck fifty-six to buck seventy. That's a meaningful hit. What happened here? Listen to CEO Ravi Salagram. Quote, we have experienced a significantly greater than expected pullback in retail retailer orders and continued inflationary pressures on the consumer, end quote. Basically, retailers don't want to be caught with too much out-of-demand inventory, so they're cutting orders all over the place. Apparently, August was pretty rough. In particular, Newell called out the home and outdoor categories as being hit the hardest. I mean, hey, that pretty much defines the space. Again, this doesn't exactly come as a surprise, right? We knew the home goods and outdoor space thrived during the darkest days of the pandemic, and they've fallen off now that COVID's receded. At this point, it's not even that the consumers don't want this stuff. It's that the retailers have gotten a lot more cautious about placing new orders, in large part because they're already stuck with too much inventory. But the good thing here is that Newell's number cuts didn't take Wall Street by surprise. Stock had already been hammered from its mid-August highs. So once they were lowered, you know what? The stock actually ended up higher. It rallied after an initial sell-off. I like that. Of course, these guidance cuts are the last thing you want to see as an investor, though. But Newell's already come down to the point where it's trading at 11 times earnings, the midpoint of the newly uh, lowered earnings forecast, and the stock yields just over 5%. In short, I guess you could do a lot worse. What does worse look like? It looks like McCormick, the maker of spices, seasonings, and Frank's Red Hot Sauce which came out of nowhere with a much more discouraging forecast cut last week. Now, historically, McCormick is the kind of company that thrives during recession, right? Consumers have less purchasing power because it means people do more cooking at home and need more spice. But this, show, this slowdown is decidedly different. When these guys reported in June, they slashed their full-year forecast because their consumer business is struggling, especially in Europe and Asia. Management also made some disturbing comments about higher, high price elasticity meaning McCormick put through price increases and consumers just weren't biting. At the time, I told you to stay away from this one until management gets their house in order. Unfortunately, they definitely aren't there yet. Last week, McCormick hit us with a negative pre-announcement for the third quarter and also slashed the full-year forecast yet again. For the quarter, management said they expect to earn 65 cents per share, 
Wall Street was looking for 83 cents on slightly lower than expected sales. For the full year, they're talking about flat to 2% sales growth, down from 3 to 5% in the previous forecast, along with a 40-cent earnings hit compared to what we were expecting. This is a growth stock, for heaven's sake. Once again, CEO Lawrence Kurzius had thought folks expertly show many times, blame, quote, higher price elasticity than expected, end quote, along with the moderation of elevated consumption trends. It doesn't help that they're still struggling with supply chain woes that put real pressure on the margins. Really, though, what matters here is that McCormick raises prices and rather than paying up, consumers balked. They'd rather trade down to the cheaper knockoff stuff. And that's why the stock tumbled nearly 7% last two Thursday. And while it's rebounded a bit since then, it's still down big. But what really makes the McCormick situation worse than the Newell situation is where these stocks are coming from. Newell's selling for 11 times earnings. McCormick sells for nearly 27 times earnings. Newell has a 5% dividend yield. McCormick doesn't even have a 2% dividend yield. Not only are McCormick's problems more serious, the stock also has much less dividend protection. That's the bad news. The good news is that Newell and McCormick were very much the exception at the Barclays conference last week. A lot of money managers expected this event to be a nightmare, but it turned out to be much better than feared. Of course, we're still not done with conference season, and there will definitely be more pockets of weakness. But the bottom line, even when companies do cut their forecasts, sometimes you get a Newell situation where the negativity was expected and the stock rallies anyway. And the McCormick situation where the numbers are, are, are distressingly bad, right now they seem few and far between, at least for the moment. I say we take calls. Let's go to Frank in Ohio. Frank! Hey, Dr. Kramer. Good to talk to you. Appreciate all your advice. Um, I wanted to check with you about sure a company trying. I took the, bought some shares of a few months ago. Financials look strong, but it's really been beaten up over the past year. I want to see what you think today about Boot Barn. All right, this thing was one of the great growth stories, and I believe that whole, like, between the two coasts, there's a lot of buying and stuff. But I got to tell you, while the stocks come down, it is still expensive. And that's why Dr. Kramer says, not yet. That's not yet, because I don't speak Russian. It's not yet. All right, still ahead. Amazon wants to power its operations with 100% renewable energy by 2025. I'm finding out exactly how they plan on getting there and more about their sustainability efforts with the top brass of Amazon Web Services. Then I'm explaining how my bout with a lost iPhone and watch should teach you a lesson about holding Apple stock. Plus, lawyer calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer from Seattle. People think of the great Amazon as a retailer. But the crown jewel of this business is Amazon Web Services, AWS. That's that cloud computing division. And when we last spoke to Adam Solipsky, the CEO of AWS, back in June, he told us he wanted some time to discuss what he's doing on the sustainability front, both internally and to help his customers reach their own climate goals. So while we're here in Seattle, we sat down again with Adam Solipsky, the CEO of Amazon Web Services, to get some more insight. So take a look. But well, we said we'd be back. I told you, made a promise, that we wanted to hear about your sustainability efforts, and that's because they are so broad. Tell us about the most important things you're doing. Well, Jim, first I want to welcome you to Seattle. You did promise in New York that you would come to Seattle. 
thank you for coming and visiting sure. uh, my hometown, and it's uh, so great to see you, and, you. Uh, and the whole crew here. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, yes, and we're here at uh, the beautiful Seattle Center with the Climate Pledge Arena right over there. And uh, Amazon is uh, really taking a very long-term view on sustainability. We made a, a very public pledge three years ago to be net zero carbon by 2040, 10 years ahead of the uh, Paris Accords. And uh, we're working across the company to do that in AWS with renewable energy and across Amazon with uh, everything in our supply chain. When I look at what you're doing, I say to myself, there is an ecosystem you're developing that you want to be the example for the rest of the country and the rest of the world. Yeah, I think, look, nobody's going to do this alone. Sustainability is the challenge of our generation. And all of the other very important challenges, whether it's education, whether it's equity, whether it's health, whether it's food, are all going to be dramatically affected by what happens with the climate in the, in the coming decades. And you can see it all around us. Uh, it's actually a nice day in Seattle, but there's this haze on the horizon. There are 18 large wildfires right now raging in Oregon and Washington alone. And this is due to climate change. And so we all, government, individual citizens, nonprofits, and big companies, all have to, to band together. And so I, I think one thing that Amazon thinks that it can do is, is to help innovate, is to help cause change to happen, is to help uh, to change supply chains uh, throughout the world so that uh, many others can not only follow, but I hope be inspired and in many cases actually outdo us and out-innovate us in the, uh, in the race to improve the climate. At the same time, we have a lot of people watching your shareholders on Amazon. My child trust owns it. We feel that if you don't do this stuff, you are putting your company at risk. I think long-term that's absolutely true. I, I, sometimes we get asked the question, well, are you interested in having great solutions for customers and a profitable business? or are you interested in sustainability? And we just don't think those things have to be uh, at odds because so many of the things we do, like the custom uh, uh, processors we put in our servers, they're both offered by far the best price performance for our customers, and they're 60% more ener energy efficient than the equivalent uh, server instances. So you um, can really do both. I'm glad you brought up energy efficiency because what I think of when I think of you guys, I, I spoke to, speak to all the utility companies. They often tell me, listen, you know, we are getting better and better and better. And then I realized, well, maybe they're getting better and better and better than I am sitting across from someone who's the largest corporate buyer of renewable energy. I want Amazon's business. I better get renewable. Yes, we, we, as part of that uh, goal to be net zero carbon by 2040, uh, we first said we we're going to be 100% renewable energy powered by 2030. And we said that's not fast enough, so we moved that goal up to 2025. And at this point, we are over 85% renewable energy across all of Amazon. Obviously, AWS is a, is a big piece of that with the data centers. And we are uh, involved with long-term power purchasing agreements, not only in the U.S., but all over the world and, and uh, traditionally difficult places to do them like South Africa and Japan. And uh, we're very committed to, uh, to that goal and we're well on track to the goal of 100% renewable by 2025. When younger people uh, talk to me about stocks, the first thing they do, so different from my generation, is they want to know whether a company is good or bad for the environment. I think migration to AWS is also making it not only great for you, but if I am a customer, I've got to play ball. What you've also done is give everybody a roadmap. I think you even gave the government a roadmap. No one knows how to do this better than you. You have the heft to do it. If I become a customer of AWS, the first thing I would ask, I'd call you and say, how do I get better? Well, so many of our customers uh, in various industries and countries all around the world are, are facing, whether it's uh, a shareholder calls to be more sustainable. In many cases, government regulation is here or is coming shortly. 
And so we have a lot of customers coming to us saying, how can AWS help us be more sustainable? And a part of the answer is, well, just migrate to the cloud, move to AWS. Because if you're on premise, it's a, you're a huge despoiler of the environment. Yeah, we, there's been research done showing that uh, AWS uh, data centers running in the cloud is 3.6 times more energy efficient than running in the average enterprise data center. And that's for a, a, a whole lot of reasons. We think it through absolutely from beginning to end. We obsess about every you know, single piece of, of what it takes to operate in those data centers. And our customers just have dramatically better energy profiles simply by running in the cloud. Now, we know uh, AWS integral to the Amazon effort. At the same time, Amazon large buyer things. Uh, Rivian, you want to be influential and say, look, if you want, uh, you, you're not just trying to tell FedEx to do a better job. You're not, that's not what you're doing. FedEx is not a big customer. You're really trying to influence the entire ecosystem of other industries. Well, frankly, we, we have to do that if we're going to hit our 2040 goal. The 2040 net zero carbon is about our entire supply chain, what they call scope three emissions, right, right. not just what Amazon uh, does locally. And so we're going to have to make sure that uh, all the aviation fuel that's used, you know, all of the uh, uh, cement that goes into what our suppliers build, that type of thing, all has the right, the right profile. So uh, not only are we doing the, the, uh, the data centers, but uh, we are putting low carbon concrete now into, into all of our buildings, both the data centers as well as uh, other office buildings that are, that are being constructed. And then if you look at, uh, at packaging across Amazon. So since 2015, Amazon has actually reduced the average packaging weight per shipment by 38% since 2015. And then you mentioned electric vehicles and Rivian. It's very important, uh, the transportation element of what we do to uh, uh, d deliver. And uh, so we already have Rivian vans on the road, electric vehicles. And by the end of this year, 2022, in the U.S. alone, we're going to have thousands of electric vehicles in over 100 U.S. cities on the road. All right, last question. We're both dads. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, proud, uh, proud dad, too. Right. I want to know how your kids feel. Do they think that Amazon's doing enough? I hope they don't feel we're doing enough yet. It is a huge effort. We don't have all the answers. Some of, some of it we have good line of sight to, and some of it's going to take innovation. Now, the good news is that Amazon is one of the most innovative companies I've ever seen, and uh, it's one of the big reasons why I'm here. And I have confidence that we're going to figure out, in partnership with uh, a lot of other companies, with governments, with many, many uh, other stakeholders, how to get there, how to get to a more sustainable world. We want to be a leader. We also want to be a great partner in that mission. At the same time, business is good, isn't it? Because a lot of people feel that things have slowed in the cloud. People feel like there's not as much equipment's being bought. It sounds like that's just not the case. Yeah, AWS continues to do well. We see strong customer demand. I think we still continue to be the clear leader. Uh, we have the broadest and deepest set of capabilities. You know, importantly, we have the experience of working with uh, the, the biggest companies in the world, the most innovative startups in the world, uh, so many government agencies, and uh, that experience really helps to shape what we build next and I think is helping to power innovation and to make sure that we stay customer obsessed in the right way. No slowdown, business remains great, environmental is a huge focus. Fair? Uh, we are really happy with, uh, with the prospects. We think it's still very early in the journey, journey to the cloud. We think most of the workloads have, have yet to move to the cloud. And as we do that, we're going to be, as, uh, we're going to be sustainable. We're going to try and help lead the, lead the way. Uh, we mentioned the Climate Pledge Arena over right. there. So it's not called Amazon Arena. 
It's, I can't think of another example of a major corporation who has uh, uh, sponsored an arena, the major sporting and concert arena, and not put their name on it. You know, what we want is, is to, to put the focus on the climate, on the environment. We currently have over 300 signatories to the climate pledge. That number is going to keep on climbing. We want it to be, uh, to be a beacon for sustainability. Excellent. Adam Slipsky, CEO, Amazon Web Services. Thank you for letting us come here. And, you know, maybe we'll, well, one day we'll catch a game. It's right, right now, Seahawks season. Yes, tonight. Go Hawks. Okay, very good. Thank you so much. Thanks, Tim. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. It is time! It is time for the Lightning Round! Gamers, man, buddy! Hey, this is a special Northwest edition. I'm coming to you from the beautiful city of Seattle! That's why I take your calls. I'm going to say the name of Stock Taylor. Bye bye bye. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? It's time for the Lightning Round! Let's go with Vincent in Tennessee. Vincent! Greetings from Tennessee, sir. I wanted to get your thoughts on Love Tennessee. One, main, one main holdings, uh, good revenue, uh, good. No, 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 it's got it's got like more exposure to a downturn than almost any other stock that I know. It could be it could, it's the Dallas Cowboys, the Dallas Cowboys of financials. Let's go to that'll make me a lot of friends. Let's go to Michael. Oh, another Tennessee. Michael. Hey, Jim, how's it going? Um, I've got a stock. Not bad. How about you, Michael? 20, doing pretty well. Um, we didn't win like the, um, the, the Eagles yesterday, so. Um, I hear you. Anyway, yeah, I, say, I uh, you lost to somebody. You're yeah, eight, go I got this stock that's down 23%. It makes money and returns profit in the form of dividends. But it recently made a uh, acquisition on a fertilizer company, um, and I think the street is um, um, not um, right. expecting the growth in that company. What do you think of the company? A S I right. All right, now this is the kind of company I like, because I think unless the world's coming to an end, I think this one has to bounce back. So I'm going to give you a plus on that and a bye-bye-bye. So second Tennessee better than third. Do we have another Tennessee? Jody uh, in Pennsylvania. Jody. Jim, Jim, hey, Jim. This is Jody Myers from Hanover, yeah. Pennsylvania. Hey, not that. Of course it is. Hey, Jim, tell me. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, okay, so we have too much money going to lithium battery, but at least you've called one with well, you've called me with one that I think is actually reasonably valued. So I'm going to say, give you the high sign on that one. Not just because you're from Hanover, which is the shoe capital, which is why they actually the South went into the North to get their shoes. Let's go to Peggy. That's true, Peggy in New Jersey. Peggy. Bully you, Jim, um, from North Wallace, New Jersey. Uh, what do you think of Ford? Will it ever get above like 15 or? Uh, Peggy, I'm feeling a little like uh, Kate May here. I do like Ford. I think I'm a buyer of Ford. My chapter is changing. And I think it's going to get out 15 someday. Maybe. I don't know. Walter in Illinois. Walter. Jim Kramer, huge fan of the show. Thank you for everything. Really appreciate everything. Hey, I've been, right I've been an you. industrial real estate broker for over 30 years, and industrial landlords are raising rents at will, and vacancies keep decreasing. Prologis, buy now or wait for a pullback. I don't even know if there is going to be a pullback. Bye, 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 bye
And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, spinning gold in the Emerald City? Crank up Nirvana and pour another coffee. Kramer is at his Seattle best next. Jim, I love you, man. I've been watching you from day one. Thank you for all the wonderful advice that you provide us. I'm learning so much watching your show. Watch your program every day. I love it. Always wanted to say booyah on your show. Thank you for being the greatest in the world. We consider you the money market maker, and we thank you for all you do. I love your show. I'm a long-time fan of your show, and we think it's the most entertaining program on TV. Last week, I was in Italy for dynamite vacation. But in the last 24 hours of that trip, disaster struck. First, I dropped my Apple Watch, and it cracked, stone cold cracked. When I looked at that lifeless face, I knew I was in a real jam. That was just the beginning. The prelude to a Kafka-esque technological nightmare. Not long after running around JFK Airport after landing, I realized that I committed a cardinal sin. I lost my So on the eve of a new iPhone launch, one that I think drove Apple nearly 4% higher today. More on that in a moment. Let me put things in perspective by describing the harrowing experience of living life without my Apple device. Sell, sell, sell. You see, once I realized that somehow I'd misplaced the phone near the luggage carousel, maybe, I tried to go back in the baggage room, something that, of course, they make simply impossible. Oh, there were these two terrific guards at the gate, though. One of them said, you know what? No problem. It'll be easy to find. All I had to do was press the find my phone button on my app of my watch. I instinctively looked at my now naked wrist and almost had a heart attack. They could look around, and they did. But it was hopeless to find the phone without the watch, the broken watch. You see, when you're without your iPhone, you're outside the entire ecosystem of apps and services that you live by. For all intents and purposes, you are basically without you. For the next 18 hours, I wasn't able to stay in touch with the world. And by the way, the world matters, which meant that I desperately needed a new so the moment I landed here in Seattle, I pivoted and went to the Apple store in the University of Washington campus, where I met Josh, a terrific salesperson who became my jovial savior, Josh. First, Josh explained that it was worth waiting for the 14, which comes out next week. Oh, the man had done his homework. He talked about what, what sounded like sweeping series of changes, a camera that's dramatically better, and also the ability to much more easily switch carriers and a half dozen other unsung features that will enrich your life that is busily trying to write them all down. Second, he explained that the 14 will be very difficult, very difficult phone to get your hands on, as everyone in the store had fielded inquiry after inquiry about all these new features. 
Yet you never hear the Wall Street analysts even acting like this could be an important product launch. This is supposed to be a yawner! Josh said it's going to be so powerful that if there's any way, any way at all, that I could just wait seven days to get my hands on it, I should, I must wait! Of course, I looked at him like he had two heads. How the heck am I supposed to navigate my life without an iPhone for the next week? That's why I'm maintaining my same old stance on Apple, the one I have had since it was at $5. Just own it. Don't trade it. Now, I know the Chinese business is problematic. Oh, that's what the analysts are focused on. But what most Wall Street guys don't seem to realize is that Apple aficionados have a better sense of demand than the analysts do. I think we could be in a situation where Apple stock will, starting today, embark on one of those old-fashioned ramps that we've seen time and time again. The kind of run the analysts almost always miss because they're constitutionally incapable of being impressed by a new Apple product. As for me, I'm now stuck with an iPhone 13 Pro. But honestly, after the nightmare that began with the broken watch also now replaced, I really don't care. I'm just glad to be connected again. And I say this as someone who was already middle-aged when we got smartphones. In theory, I, uh, I should be able to cope. But the whole world has already adapted to these things, and there's no going back. It's still one more realization that Apple's customers are lifers, lifetime value, because these products are necessities. When you add up the expected lifetime value of a customer, including all the service revenues that back up your device, it's far greater than the value of the device itself. If Apple were to break out this number, lifetime value, I think Wall Street would have a much easier time understanding that the iPhone is a razor, one of the greatest technological inventions ever, but a razor, and you'll spend the rest of your life buying razor blades. That's what makes the stock not a trade in the launch, but one of the best investments out there. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you, right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. When you visit a state as big and diverse as Texas, there are a million different trips you can take. Let's say you've got an appetite for whitewater kayaking. You can get your own. So this is why they call it Devil's River. Trip to Texas. Or maybe you have an actual appetite. I'll take a pound of brisket, six ribs, uh, three links of sausage, and a, a piece of pecan pie. Trip to Texas. Go to TravelTexas.com slash get your own for the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours.